Romans is a logical argument. And so chapter 4 has come after how many chapters? Well done. And, and to get the full understanding of chapter 4 is, is built on the progression that Paul has used in the first three chapters. So he's now making his case. Now, if you were here for the first uh, Sunday where we opened with Romans a couple of weeks ago, uh, that wrote the whole letter of Romans can be broken up into five chunks, each beginning with S. Can anyone remember what they are? Sin. Sin. Salvation. Sanctification. Two more. So, no more guesses from you, Mike. Sovereignty. And the final S, service. Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service is basically the shape of the whole letter of Romans. It's a logical argument. Which section are we in now that Janet has just read? Do you think? We've spent two Sundays on sin. <gasps> we must be in salvation. Paul is now explaining to these two groups who are at each other's throats what biblical faith really is. It's not just a thing that you believe against all evidence and hope. That's what the atheists tell us. It's just a leap in the dark. Rubbish. We're going to, fight, we're going to discover later, not in too much detail because it's not just about that, but that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most attested historical fact of world history how can faith then be a leap in the dark into, into believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, huh? So faith has got to be something else. So today, chapter 4, I've called it biblical faith, is biblically found. Paul is now articulating that faith preceded the law. So if I said a phrase now, which came first? Say, come on, be confident. I always tell you when it's a trap, and this is not a trap. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Hands up for the chicken, my wife and Eric. Uh, uh, great. Hands up for the egg. Well, well, well. 75% of you think neither the chicken nor the egg. Again, this is difficult for the atheists to answer. I'm going to knock them again today. Um, bless their hearts. They need Jesus, right? They need the truth of things. They can't answer the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg. What does the Christian answer? Yeah, yeah. No, no. But which one, which one did he make first? We know he made it. Anyone suggesting the egg? Could God have made the egg first? Yes. So it doesn't matter what you say, chicken or the egg. But the atheists can't answer that. They haven't got a clue. Can't be the chicken, because chicken comes from an egg. Can't be the egg. Need a chicken to lay it and sit on it. But God can do both, which is why chapter 4 ends with, we'll come to this in a moment, that Abraham's faith, he believed in God as uh, the God who raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. And that is a really significant point to end on in this particular chapter. So Paul is raising the issue here, which came first, grace or sin, law or faith, righteousness or unrighteousness, which one came first? Grace came before sin, righteousness came before unrighteousness, and faith comes before law. 
Because before God created the world, in the perfection and beauty of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was no law. There was no unrighteousness. There was no sin. So Romans 4 is begging the question, how do we then, this is what Paul is arguing, how then do we get right with God? Do we follow the law of Moses as Christians, or do we not? And it's not such a big issue for us today. But we could ask the question for ourselves, how do we be a faithful Christian in the world today? Now, most of you, if not all of you here, are Christians. You will all have your your responses to that. How you live your life is your response to how you live as a faithful Christian in the world today. And it's really hard to do that with integrity. But what's what's the section, the third section of Romans? The third S? Sin, salvation, sanctification. So it's always by faith, as defined by the Scriptures, by the revelation of God, but we need all the help we can get. And what's the help that we need? The Holy Spirit, who sanctifies us, ready for service. So it's faith, yes, but it's not all one way. It's God helping us. God help you, church. God help us all, right? We can't do it, and we never were meant to do it on our own. And Paul is moving into that territory where he's suddenly going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, he mentions the Holy Spirit once in this chapter, and he actually mentions Scripture four times. Biblical faith is biblically found. We are not at liberty to just believe. Paul says, for I pass on what I received. We're not at liberty to make it up as we go along. Someone said, life or death do not just lie at the end of two pathways. They are the two pathways. Which path are you on? Life or death? Often in the prophets in the Old Testament, God would speak through the prophet saying, I have set before you two ways, life or death. Choose life. Please choose life is the cry of God's heart. So Romans 3.23, very famously, Paul concluded that the Jews were in error, the Jewish Christians, and the Gentiles were also in error. One is not better than the other, and therefore all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now Paul is moving us into, okay, if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if there is no hope for Gentile or Jew, then what? What do we do? How do we get right with God? It is one of the most, if not, is there a more important question? How do we get right with God? And the Christian asks, how do we stay right with God? Because it's not God that will turn us away. It will be we that turn him away at some point. So the whole of the rest of Romans now is going to show us how God has sealed our salvation. And it comes down to simply... Believing what God has said about himself and about you and about the world that we live in. Just believing what God has said. That's not blind faith. That's believing what God, who speaks, has said. 
God is a speaking God. He's not mute. He's not blind. And he's not deaf. He can make the chicken or the egg. That's how powerful he is. So trust or faith in the God who was there before sin even existed is the key. That's why Paul writes these beautiful words in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, that's why it... De- I, love, I love this, by the way. It's a slightly different um, way to write it than the NIV has said. But he says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. Think about the image going on here. What would the image be if you were to make a, a picture of this? That's why it depends on faith, so that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed, guaranteed to all who share this faith in God as Abraham did. He showed us the way. It's not about legalism or works or sacrifice even. He, Abraham will be pushed in that direction at some point, but that's why the end of chapter 4 becomes more significant as well. And so to apprehend then biblical faith, the genuine Christian becomes a vehicle for God's grace in the world. A genuine grace-fueled vehicle. Who said amen? Amen, sister. The true Christian is an ambassador of Christ, which is basically to spread grace in the world. The grace of God, because all of God's promises rest on grace, rest. Now, I know you all had your solid eight hours of beauty sleep last night, resting on your beds. And as you woke this morning, the birds were tweeting as they brought your breakfast and your drink and your orange juice. No? Oh. It rests on grace. Is it any wonder that Paul has to explain this? Do we have a world that loves grace and mercy and the promises of God? No, we don't. Our world has replaced all of the good things of God with abominations and wickedness and idolatries. Imposters, all of them. A world that denies the God who made this good world. A world that openly refuses and rebukes the holy God of all eternity. There are millions of false gods and fake gods. It is they who want law and retribution and damnation. They want these things to destroy human beings. Paul says, the true and living God is not like that. These are the gods that we need rescuing from. We looked at one of the gods earlier with that brilliant imagery of the heart and the tubes of, uh, tube of kindness and the, tu- what was the other tube called? Unkind, oh, obviously, yeah. Un- <laughs> Unkindness. Unkindness is a form of idolatry. Unkindness doesn't come from the promises of God that rest on grace. Once you get off that beautiful grace mattress 
and you stop resting, the unkindness comes. The unkind person doesn't live in grace. But it's all about grace. One of the prophets, forgive me for not, one of the prophets said, grace, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, grace, grace, it's everywhere. If you are willing to see it. Isn't that amazing? It really is everywhere. And so the true Christian becomes a vehicle of grace. Let's go back to these nasty gods in the world. They are unpredictable, unintelligible, and uninteresting. They are the gods of our imagination. Human beings make the idols, and God delivers us from them. They make no promises, they give no rest, and they offer no grace. Why do you think the world is such a busy place, church? No rest for the... Ta-da! And yet God has already pronounced a Sabbath day of rest. Do you know that... I'm going to go off on one now. The, The pattern of creation. When were human beings created? On the sixth day. And there was morning and there was night on that day. The very next day, enter into the Sabbath. Adam and Eve, a day on which there is no night, it never ends. The rest that Christ gives is what we were made for. So we need rescuing from these gods. That's why one of the most challenging and exact scripture verses will come later in chapter 14, verse 23. Paul will end up saying that if faith is everything, biblical faith, biblically found, he will end up saying, whatever that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Wow! Anything that doesn't proceed from faith. It has to be that way, right? It has to be that demanding. It couldn't be, do your best to have faith and good luck, chaps. (laughs) Everything that doesn't proceed from trust in God is sin of some magnitude or other. We could say that whatever does not come from total trust in taking the one true and faithful God at his word is sin. That's why we come back to church again and again and again. We say the Lord's Prayer again and again and again. We break bread again and again and again Because we recognize that we need Christ. We may believe in his word, but we need the Holy Spirit to come and empower us in order to live that life. For some of you, hearing the word Holy Spirit will be absolutely terrifying. May God rescue you from your terror. (laughs) And good luck with that, by the way. David Coffey said, faith is simply taking God at his word. That's it. Hence, as I've already mentioned, the scriptures are mentioned four times in this chapter. Paul is reminding us in chapter four that God has already said this. The very first story after creation, the fall, 
the flood, and the Tower of Babel, with all that sin and chaos, God begins his rescue mission with a man who believed God. That's it. Abraham, do you believe me? You're going to have a a family that will outnumber the stars in the heavens and the sand on the seashore. And he's like, what are you sure? I'm as good as dead. Have you seen my wife? But he believed. Why? Because God said, if God says something to you, do it. Please, with all your heart, do it. Do it. And we all have areas in our lives where we need to grow. That's why we come back to church again and do those things again. Because we need to be reminded and forgiven and offered new hope where our wounds can heal. One of my favorite musicians is an American singer-songwriter called Michael Card. He was absolutely brilliant uh, in the 80s and 90s. And in uh, a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, he was performing at a church in Torbay. And I went to see, and I actually met him, and we had a brilliant conversation afterwards. He has a song with a line in it that says, Worship him with your wounds, for he is wounded too. Worship him with your wounds, for he is wounded too. How stunning is that? Somebody might say, Richard, none of us are perfect. I believe God, and that's that. You might even accuse me of, of, you, of, not say, of saying you don't believe. I'm not saying that. But none of us believe perfectly. None of us live perfectly. And so we live out day by day that beautiful verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. By the way, Galatians is called the mini-Romans. If you want to read Romans quickly, read Galatians. Mind you, Romans only takes an hour and a half anyway, so just read Romans properly. Galatians 2.20 says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Worship him with your wounds, for he is wounded too. And it's this little point that I want to um, draw out in the last few verses now. Uh, 20, verses 20 to 25. It's a very curious thing. I learned this insight from the early church father, Oregon, in the second and third centuries. He noted that Abraham didn't distrust or waver what God had promised. He said, he will make you the father of nations. That's why faith was credited to him as righteousness. So far, so good. We know that bit. It was credited to him. But then Paul says this wasn't just for Abraham, but it was for the Roman church. He says, doesn't he? He says it wasn't just written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. And we can say it wasn't just written for Abraham, but for the Romans and now for the Tauntonians. It was written for our sake too. But he doesn't say to those who believe in God, all-powerful, sovereign God, creator of the heavens and the earth. He doesn't use those titles for God. What does he say? Verse 24, he says, it's not just written for you. It wasn't just written for him or for you or for us. It says, he will, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead 
Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our sin and raised for our justification. Origen noted, and I think this is absolutely right on, why did Paul write that? Because Abraham, as a test of faith, will be asked to offer up his only son. And Abraham believed, even then, with the knife raised, and this, there was a sermon preached on this in this church a few weeks ago. I think, Eric, I think you did that, didn't you? Even as the knife was raised, ready to plunge down, Abraham believed God. And at the last moment, God said, stop, there's a ram, don't kill your son, I've got a greater plan. Abraham still knew that God could raise the dead. And so Paul would write, this wasn't just written for, for him or for you or for us. But for any who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, do you see that's all it takes? The greatest provable, demonstrable by the historical method event in world history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And God says, believe that. <laughs> There's not a single pixie or fairy in sight. This is biblical faith. And it's biblically found. And it's found in the empty tomb. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to finish now with two quotes. One from a 14th century woman of God called Catherine of Siena. Some of you will have heard of her. In the 1300s, she said this. This doesn't sound like 14th century language, but listen to this. God's love for us was so unmistakably crazy that when we had become enemies because of our sin, God wanted and acted to make us his friends. God's love was so unmistakably crazy for us. It's not sentimental mush. It is holy, pursuing love. And finally, a British writer, a school teacher, and poet called Anna Bunston DeBarry. Anybody heard of her? No. She used to write um, poems coming out of the, uh, the First and Second World Wars. She wrote this after she converted. I absolutely love this. She was reflecting on her conversion to Christ, and she said, Tell me your name, I challenged Christ. Were you a prophet? And a saint supreme? Did you wear true flesh and true blood? Are you that which we call God? Or are you but a hope, a sigh, a thing compacted from all our dreams? I will declare myself, said Christ, when you, Anna, Confess your name and station. Okay. Easy terms. So I thought and I thought. But still the sum of me as naught. A dying sinner I am. And straight away he told me his name. Salvation life, and the great 
I am. Amen. God bless you, church.